You're listening to a Corridor Business Journal podcast. I'm Nate Kading, and this is Real Success. This is the Corridor Business Journal podcast, where we explore the life and careers of the Corridor's most influential business leaders. Brandy Mueller is the managing director and founding partner of The Overture Group, a search and consulting firm with offices here in the Corridor and Chicago. She's an Iowa farm girl who went on to get her psychology degree from the University of Northern Iowa, where in her spare time, she also mastered the art of social networking. After working for over a decade in corporate environments, now she's become an expert in solving one of the biggest challenges facing companies today, finding the right people. We talked about lessons learned from her upbringing, the turning point in her career when she brushed aside the fear of failure to pursue a big new career opportunity, and also all of the common career mistakes for all of us to avoid. I learned a lot, and I think you will too. Stay tuned. This episode of Real Success with Nate Kading is brought to you by Midwest One Bank. Midwest One Bank is the proud partner for doers and entrepreneurs in the corridor and beyond. As an SBA preferred lender, our team is ready to help you reach your business goals. It's empowered money management. It's Midwest One Bank, member FDIC. So Brandy, how would you describe what you all do over at the Overture Group? So we work with um, clients and they come to us and say, hey, we're looking for XYZ for our business. We have a problem and we need your, your help to solve it. Um, so we're solution finders for our clients and helping them find the right talent, not only just the skill set, but who's going to be the best for the team and for the goals that they have for their business. I'm assuming to be uh, effective at this, you need to be, you need to know people. You need to be good at finding the right people and know what makes people tick and being able to connect them. Have you always been a, a good people person? If you think back to your childhood and your upbringing, were you always uh, an extrovert, social, outgoing, enjoyed being around people? I, you know, that's a Yes. The short answer is yes to that. But I, it was a learned behavior. Um, I hands down got it from my parents, watching them, watching my, actually watching my parents and grandparents, watching them work rooms. Um, so I, it's a learned behavior I got from, from them. Were your parents business people, grandparents? What, what are some of your memories of them growing up? So I grew up on a farm in Southeast Iowa. And so business people, absolutely. Entrepreneurs, absolutely. Um, but my, they wouldn't, they didn't just work on the farm. They were involved in the community, involved in the church, advocating for agriculture um, at the local level and at the state level. And da- I even remember my dad going to D.C. and lobbying out in D.C. too. Sure. What are some other memories of growing up on the farm? You, I'm like, like most farmers, right? You're probably pitching in at an early age and chasing down chickens and milk and cows. And we some didn't of those have chickens or, or uh, dairy cows. We had... Uh, we did have animals, but um, one of the things that I remember growing up is that I w- didn't have the luxury of sleeping in. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Do you have a rooster? Did you have one of those? No, no? I had okay, my dad just, coming just into my room <laughs> saying, get, get out of bed. It's time to get up. Um, he just didn't, he didn't like watching us not busy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we all had a plate a part of making the farm operate. Um, I will tell you that I grew up on a farm. I'm proud of my farming roots, but I only drove a tractor once. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's just not something that I did, but I played a part. Every Saturday, I cleaned all the cars. Um, I took part in in the planting season and, and helping get vehicles where they needed to go, but I 
only drive a tractor once and that was, that's all I really need to do. <laughs> right. How, uh, back to the people part, you yeah. mentioned kind of interacting within the community. Yeah. What are some of your earlier memories just of you personally of getting involved with the community? Oh my goodness. Um, my parents got, we were very involved in our church. Um, my grandparents established a church in the forties and we were always doing stuff at the church. Um, but also, you know, other volunteer opportunities throughout the, throughout the communities that we um, participated in, um, I was a, I babysat as a kid okay. and, you know, that's a community thing as a kid. I mean, I didn't make what the kids make now as a babysitter, <laughs> but, um, you know, there was, you know, always things at the school that we were involved in too for volunteering. Yeah. How, how would you describe, um, yourself as a student growing up? Were you, were you always strong? Did you enjoy school or is it something that was more, more learned? <laughs> well, I was a student athlete. Okay. So, um, I probably was an average student, but really, you know, I had to learn how to balance my time, um, off and on the court. So getting your homework done and then, um, practice and, you know, it was always a balance as you know, Mm -hmm. it was a balance. Teaches you a certain amount of discipline for Mm -hmm. sure. Absolutely. What, um, so graduated high school, uh, talk to me a little bit about your, uh, your journey from, uh, you know, through college and into the professional world. So I graduated high school in 94 and then went to the university of Northern Iowa Um, my dad would tell people I got my degree in social networking (laughs) before social networking was a thing. Um, call me on Friday. My, my college roommates hated it, but they would call, he'd call me on Friday morning and say, how was Sharky's last night, honey? (laughs) (laughs) But you know, and I say, and I say that that served you well now, right? It's skill that served me well now. I was always networking and that, and that was, that was probably the most, you know, it was fun in college, but Mm -hmm. it was also, uh. Um, way of getting to know people and networking. What makes a successful networker? How do you how do you get good at that? If so, if there's an aspiring networker out there, how do you what, what would you recommend? It's being genuinely interested. I had a conversation recently with a good friend about this. It's being genuinely interested and helping in helping. Mm-hmm. Um, what do they need um, to be successful? Rather than it being about you, it's about them. And I think that's where the first. Thing where you can be successful in sure. helping someone. Have you always been a good listener? Would you describe yourself as a good listener? Or is that a skill you've had to work on? Well, I think it's a, always a skill to work on. Um, I think that you can quickly um, start ta- talking, mm-hmm. but I think you learn more when you're listening to to the person and learning more. Um, I think that listening, I, I spend more time listening than talking. And what I do, I think when you and I first met, you were the asking me all the questions and it, yeah. I felt like it was a role <laughs> reversal of, I'm usually flipped the one, on you, you yeah. flipped it on me and yeah. it was a little bit uncomfortable because I'd rather be asking the questions mm-hmm. and listening rather than doing all the talking. Yeah, we'll, f- we'll flip it on you again today too. <laughs> right, be, right, that's what you're doing. Um, and you had a degree in psychology, right, from yes, you and I? Um, I how has that informed your work now, the, the field of psychology? Because there's a little bit of that at play, I'm assuming. I spent a lot of time counseling um, candidates, clients, um, and helping them try to figure out what, what's going to make, what's going to work best for them. Um, it's not a success for us if we're put, you know, putting the round peg in the square hole with a candidate. What, and that's where listening comes into play, Nate, is helping them, you know, listening to them on what motivates them, what's going to help them um, feel like when they go to work, this is fun. Mm -hmm. It's not work. They're having a good time. And so 
that listening element and what is driving them is what's important and what makes success happen and what we do. So help them sort of internalize and become aware of things. Because I'm sure you run across a, a fair amount of candidates that kind of find themselves at some sort of career crossroads, right? So it's your, you're kind of helping them identify where, wh- which direction to take at the fork of the road a little yeah, bit. A lot of candidates that we're talking with are not actively looking for a job. So that's like, what motivates you? What are you getting out of where you're currently at today? And if they're not, okay, then what is going to get you motivated? What, what's going to get you excited about your next five years or next two years? Yeah. What are you seeing? And it's hard to generalize when you talk about people and occupations, but what, what are you seeing today is, uh, you know, what are some motivating factors? Is there anything that really jumps out um, to you now? Or maybe something you're seeing now that you didn't see at the beginning of your, your career in, in executive search? Has it changed at all? What's, what's motivating people to take one job as opposed to, the, to another? Well, it just depends on the level of job, right? If you're talking to a new college grad, there's more jobs out there today than there was, than there was you know, 20 years ago, I feel. Um, but if you're talking to a, a CFO-level candidate, it's, it's really about the, the culture. I, culture is probably bigger today than it was 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what's the um, succession opportunities? You know, that's always been the same. Um, it's the, it's the, the core and in my opinion is culture. Um, is it a good team? How much change are we going to have to be instituting? Um, those are the types of, um, elements that we're looking at and talking to with candidates today. That seems tricky though, with the culture side, because that's something that, you know, you have to get really get yourself inside of to really understand and appreciate what a unique culture might look like within a business. How do you during this kind of courtship process that might last 30 days or three months or however long that might be, how do you, what, what are the tactics that you've seen to be successful to get a candidate acquainted with a certain company's culture? We got to know the company. We got to know what they're talking about. You know, we got to get a feel about what they're, what they're saying is really true. So we spend a lot of time with the client up front about what their company is about mm-hmm. and why people enjoy working there. Why do they work there? What is does success look like for whomever comes and works for them so we spend a lot of time more time almost with the company up front before we start even start searching for the ideal person for their team understanding each company's culture so you can communicate that back to the candidate absolutely if you were to kind of create or craft the perfect business culture that, that you think is the most sought after today what would that be a couple, couple key principles there with uh, for a successful business culture. You know, every company is going to be different from a service industry business to a manufacturer, but one that respects their employees and the value that they can add to the business um, to ensure that the growth can, you know, so they can grow, not only help the business grow, but grow professionally. I think that's where each company has that secret sauce that they have to create. Not every company is cookie cutter, right? Right. Everybody, every company has their special secret sauce. But um, if you can encourage growth of your employees, um, not only and they have play a part in the growth and the success of the company, that's where it's going. That's where everybody's going to win. That personal growth, mm-hmm. yeah. And you, and you've had that personal growth, you know, in your own personal career, because you, you finished with you and I, and, um, and then after you got out of school, and generally you went on and worked for within a larger company at, at RSM or mm-hmm. McGlattery at mm-hmm. the time. Talk a bit about your professional journey from working there within that company to where you're at to now as a, as a founding partner at the Overture Group. Yeah, so I when I graduated from you and I, I was searching for a job and landed at, at McGlattery in Poland at 
20 years ago. Did you know you want to get into search? Um, I knew I wanted to get into HR recruiting at at, um, some point. I did a job shadow with an HR manager of a trucking company, and I knew that I wanted to get an HR recruiting. And so I landed an opportunity with McGladdery, and and it was – I was drinking from a, a fire hydrant, learning. I just, I was a sponge. Um, from there, I, I grew from um, being assistant for the team to running the practice um, here in Eastern Iowa. The economy that took place in 2009, um, it, was, it was great. I learned so much and got to work with some awesome clients. Um, but the firm made a, a choice to not take search national, and that's when they um, got out of the search business. And so the spring of 2010, um, I lost my job. My job was eliminated. And it was eliminated, um, (laughs) the timing of the elimination um, was three weeks after my dad died. And it was tough, but it was also perspective of what really matters. Right. And so a loss of a job um, was not really that important. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was a turning point in my career where I um, had to decide, did I want to go work for another large corporation, which I had an offer to do that, or to join my partners who are in the Chicagoland area and start um, the Overture Group. And clearly, I went with the latter. But um, it, was a, it was a really big, um, pivotal decision in my life. And um, no one in my family wanted to help me make that decision. Sure. We were all grieving. Um, but I had some really good friends mm-hmm. and um, people that have been just great mentors to me that lifted me up and, and encouraged me to do it. I had uh, specifically one of them said to me, Brandy, what are you so afraid of? And I, um, I looked at him. We were um, having dinner. I looked at him. I'm like, well, failing, failure. And he goes, so what? I go, what do you mean, so what? I'm not going to, I don't want to fail. He's like, so what if you do? You got to do something different. But um, that's, that was my aha moment and started getting things put into place to make it happen. That's awesome. And as you, you again, you look back at that kind of, that turning point, that, that fork in the road, and you, you kind of said, hey, you know, maybe envision the failure and how not, not as bad as that might be, right? At first blush, we all think about that, um, right. being able to move past that. What was sort of the next the next step then? Um, you said you mentioned you had some partners in Chicago. Was it okay? Now we're we're going full forward and don't don't look in the rearview mirror. We're we're going all all in on this thing. Well, pretty much. You know, there was all you know all the legal stuff that had to happen. But you know, it was um, getting getting everything put into place, and it was. I didn't I didn't go big like some some companies do and go and get office space and go and do all those things. I officed out of my house for the first year and kept it lean. I I kept it real lean and, and took care of, you know, made for sure that we were going to be okay before we started, um, looking for office space and going big. Um, it might've, the, that having, having my second child might've been the reason why we had to get out of the house because we were outgrowing our house. (laughs) And so my, my office at home had to turn into a nursery. So, um, that's where we started uh, our real growth is when uh, Ada, Ada came along. Yeah. I always find it interesting, these, these sort of turning points in people's careers. Um, if you look back just to play the what-if game for a second, um, 
if you're if your partners didn't hadn't already kind of had you know this mm-hmm. other option more call it entrepreneurial mm-hmm. option happening or if you didn't have this other big life um, occurrence with the passing of your father mm-hmm. do you think any of those you know kind of external circumstances would have maybe steered you in a different direction at that time or was it do you think you know if, if either of those things weren't happening you would have made the same decision I think timing is everything and um I'll tell you, I had multiple conversations um, with my dad about doing this on my own. And um, he was like, you got to go do this on your own. This is what you should be doing. And and so when it all happened, it all happened for a reason. And and there was some signs that came. I, I really wanted him. He was my mentor. He was I really wanted him to say do it. And he sent me some pretty, pretty amazing signs telling me that it was going to be okay. That's awesome. Yep. And then fast forwarding now here to 2019, and you've built up yeah, an amazing business here with the footprint in Illinois and, and Iowa. Um, it's it's one of the great success stories, business success stories here here in the area. Um, but I always marvel at people like that that have been able to build this up and being able to kind of have some resemblance of a of a work life, you know, sort sort of sort of uh, balance. And especially now, you guys with the job shortages and there's all the news around record, you know, low unemployment rates. And I'm assuming that you know you guys are in high demand and uh, your firm is is in, in big growth mode. Um, talk a bit about how you you know over the course of the last ten years, have you built the business, have been able to manage keeping keeping your work and your life and everything kind of in balance. Well, I think work-life balance is a is a topic that gets talked about a lot, Nate, and I would be lying to you to say I have it um, all the time. Like there are times where I just say, okay, enough, I need to take some time for me and, and the family and, and focus on that. And then there's times where I have to focus on, on the business, um, but it's having that support system of, of my husband and the family that we make it work. It's kind of like, uh, I'm going to go back to my farming roots, like in the spring and the fall, it's go time. And when the work is there, it's go time. So, um, but when things slow down a little bit, that's when you take a breath and and take some time for yourself. And I think that's pretty true in a lot of different industries and a lot of different jobs, but it's balancing your time and and knowing when you need to pull back and take some time for yourself. Yeah, know when you got to roll the sleeves up and, mm-hmm. and go as you, and that's kind of the, the cycle of a year when you have those moments when, you know, all hands on deck, we got to go work. How about if you look back at the arc of the of Overture Group over the last 10 years, can you talk a bit about maybe a moment or two or a, a point in the road where you guys had to really just kind of, here's an opportunity, we got to, you know, grasp this thing and go for it. Has there been any kind of big moments like that that really helped accelerate the growth and success of, of the Overture Group that you could think of? So I have, I've been fortunate that I really have never have to had to go out and actively search for people for my team. Mm-hmm. They've always came to me and said, hey, I'm interested in talking to you about opportunities. So I think that's probably one of the things that we've done is that um, when when someone knocks on the door and they offer something that maybe I don't have an expertise in, that's where we we add that we add that talent to our team. Build the firm around the Build people. Build the yeah. firm around the people rather than going and trying to find somebody that that may have a recruiting background and may fit, um, but that's what that's what I've done in ter- in terms of t- taking those risks and ch- chances. Um, is you know if they can if they have a certain expertise that I may not have, right? That's when I go for it. Yeah, build it around maybe some blind spots yep. that you might have. Absolutely. So again, again, doing that kind of looking back thing at your career, has there been a uh, 
you know, a moment that you wish you would have had back a decision, business decision you made or, or life decision that you wish you could take a mulligan on? Yes, absolutely. And this is, this is the caveat here. I, th- I think that you learn more from your mistakes than your successes. Um, I think probably one of the biggest mistakes that I've made in my career is saying no to business when you're in growing and you need to bring in revenue, um, instead of, instead of really trusting your gut, I should have probably said no, mm-hmm. that this probably isn't the right fit for us. Um, and it's okay to say no. Right. But then you don't know, okay, what's good else is going to come in the pipeline. But if it doesn't fit, um, if you can't put your head down at night and t- rest well, um, walking away. Yeah. I think that's probably one of the biggest mistakes that I've learned to say no. Is there an art to saying no? Because we all approach that in business sometimes, whether it's a, it's a client that's not the right fit or it's an investment opportunity that just isn't, isn't right. How do, you, you know, how do you get to that no answer? Because you know, they, there's always the all that glitters is gold sort of thing, right? How do you, how do you see through some of the, the window dressing? Well, unfortunately, in what I do, I have to um, let people down unfortunately not everybody gets the job right? right so saying sorry this probably this isn't the right fit for you is something that we have to do and it's not easy um to do because somebody's invested in showing that it's going to be okay this just isn't the right fit um is there an art being honest mm-hmm. and direct and compassionate those are all important um telling a client no this probably isn't the right fit i mean if it's not the right fit it's not the right fit right and you got to be able to walk away. That's great. And so you, you talked a bit about the mulligans and the importance of learning from your mistakes, but you're also in this unique position where you, you're counseling, you're, you know, you're helping people find the right candidates, you're seeing candidates as they make business decisions, uh, career decisions. What are some common mistakes that people make when they're making big career life decisions like, you know, what's the next job to take or do I leave a current job and go somewhere else? Are there... Uh, by someone that's you know seen thousands of these uh, and been there and had a front row seat, is there mistakes that you would offer as a, as advice to avoid or any sort of recommendations? Just be honest. I mean, honesty is always the best. Um, no, no one ever likes surprises. So, I mean, yeah, going into your employer and saying I've accepted another job—that's a surprise. However, um, you know. Being honest with with a, I've I've had candidates walk in and say, listen, or tell me that they've they told their boss that they're interviewing, and because I just want to be honest with them that this is this is happening, and and a lot of times when that happens, I'm not advocating for that always that approach, <laughs> but <laughs> well, what is the right because approach? you can't, but you can't you can't guarantee that that's not going to backfire on mm-hmm. you. But if you have a good working relationship, Hey, I'm not happy where I'm currently at. This opportunity is a lot of times a, a good boss or supervisor is going to want you to grow. And if you can't get that here, then move on. Um, if they're a good employee, they could come back. There's that happens often too. Right. So, um, you know, the advice I give just to come back to it is surprises are never usually in this circumstance. Good. Sure. There's some good surprises in life, but yeah, just saying, yeah, I'm not gonna, you know, everybody gets invested. I, you know, I call it a dating process, the job, you know, looking for a job or interviewing for a job. Let's just be honest up front that, yeah, this probably isn't for me. I, this isn't gonna happen because once you start falling in love and no, but not both parties are in love, um, it's hard to go back. It's hard to, yeah, hard to walk away. So I'm curious, one of the interesting kind of generational shifts, uh, here in the U.S. economy, and I'm sure elsewhere around the world too, has just been the number of different jobs that someone holds throughout their professional career. I mean, my folks 
both worked in one job their entire professional career. And now I think the data around us crazy millennials is, you know, we're going to have eight to 12 or whatever the number is, but it's not one um, different sort of jobs. Do you think that people are changing jobs too often that they're always kind of looking around at options? I mean, do you have any uh, perspective or commentary on that? I do have a perspective. It may not be the right one, but uh, my perspective is, is that we're in the Midwest and here in the Midwest, people like to see loyalty, Mm -hmm. um, jumping around every year to a year and a half, um, and having multiple jobs, that's going to make it a little bit harder for you to land, land your dream job someday. Cause they're going to wonder what's going on. So right. have some legitimate reasons why you're leaving rather than just another, yeah. uh, just because I wanted to, I mean, that's usually not a, a real good excuse and that's going to make the potential employer a little bit leery about hiring you and bringing you on and investing in your, in you for their organization. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a good, good perspective. Um, I always like this question just cause I think it, it's interesting to hear how people look at it. But if you were to look back at your career and kind of allocate a percentage to the success of your career, how much of it was due to, you know, hard work. And you mentioned, you know, growing up on a farm and that's always been instilled in you at an early age, hard work versus kind of luck and just kind of, circumstances aligning at the right moment how much would you put on one versus the other I think hard work brings luck to you I I believe that 100 percent so both I mean you need a little luck but you need a little luck but you also um if you're uh if you put the hard work in the luck will come sure that's great okay we like to end all these interviews with uh, just some quick quick questions here uh if given the chance what profession other than your own would you most like to attempt? I'd be a chef. A chef? There you mm-hmm. go. I like it. Uh, what kind of food? Mexi- Mexican. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> uh, how about a business leader? Is there someone out there that you've always admired? My dad. Okay. Great. Uh, how about a podcast or TV show? Anything that you're watching now at home or I, listening to? Actually, so I have two podcasts that I've been listening to lately. One of them is one my friend Joe Stopulus. Okay. Um, I met him in Leadership Iowa, and he's got a podcast called Man Up. Oh, cool. And it's really cool. Um, I also um, started listening to The Catalyst Effect, and mm. that's a really cool one, too. Okay, awesome. Uh, motivational quote, something you guys have up at the office over there with the Overture Group? or Whatever you are, be a good one. Love it. Uh, 30 extra minutes in a day, what do you do? I do yoga. Okay, we'll work out in. Good. <laughs> Breathing. Um a book, a business book of sorts that's influenced your career? Um, how do you win friends and influence people? Classic. It's uh, great. And then in one sentence, how do you define success? Mm-hmm. Success is believing you can. Outstanding. Thank you so much, Brandy, for taking the time. Thanks, Nate. It's been great. This episode was produced by Joe Coffee of Coffee Grande Studios. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter at CB Journal. 